Good morning, everyone. Our scripture reading today is in the last book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter, or last chapter of Isaiah, um, chapter 66. If you're going to use one of the Bibles that's underneath a chair near you, it should be on page 625. Um, so we will be reading from Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 through 14. So turn there with me, if you will. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb, like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering, like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense, like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them, and bring their fears upon them, because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen, but they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. But it is they who shall be put to shame. The sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land, shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I cause, shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy and all, all you who mourn over her that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip, and bounced upon her knees. As one whom his, whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass. And the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. Thank you, Cody. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Isaiah 66, our 
sermon text for today is verses 7 through 14 of Isaiah 66. Um, I, I knew that you would be generous in your giving to help the Ukrainian refugees. I, I knew you would be generous, but I have to be honest with you, the way in which you gave far exceeded my greatest expectations. Um, as one person said to me, your, your giving is almost beyond imagination. But you know what? That is how God works. God knew the need was great, and he is the one who stirred hearts to give in big ways. And we can all say, to God be the glory, great things he has done. But it is not just with the Ukrainian refugees. God is, uh, God's work of pro providing salvation for his people even more exceeds our wildest imaginations. Uh, the, the promise of a Messiah all through the Old Testament, the, and the faithful provision of the Messiah, the virgin who conceived by the Holy Spirit, a woman who gave birth at just the right time, a Messiah who would willingly die on the cross in our place, that this suffering servant. All of these things are greater than we could ever imagine. But then too, what is also equally astonishing is how God is working to save a people from every uh, nation and language on the face of the earth. Um, Jew and Gentile. It, it makes me say with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11, verse 33 through 36, and I quote, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever. Amen. God's ways and God's work are really more than we can fully comprehend. Our, our sermon text today, Isaiah 66, 7 through 14, is going to speak of things that only God can do. Um, there, there is no one like him. Uh, but to better understand the greatness of God, you have to remember the context of these verses. Isaiah is writing to the tribe of Judah who had been in exile for 70 years in Babylon. People then wondered what would happen to, quote-unquote, God's people now that they have been away from Jerusalem for 70 years. And Isaiah wrote to prepare them for their return to Jerusalem and to speak of the, of the things God would do in and in an even greater way in the future. Um, but in terms of just a little bit of review, if you remember the first half of chapter 65, um, Isaiah had a message for Israel. We learned that Israel 
Israel had been given every single opportunity to know the Lord, but we're told they refused. And we also learn that the Lord said to them in response, I will not keep silent, I will repay. Even after 70 years of exile, their hearts had not changed, and so the Lord promised judgment for those who forsake him. But he also promised that he would, by his grace, preserve a remnant who lived by faith. In fact, the Lord promised rich blessings for his faith-filled servants, both believing Jew and believing Gentile. Uh, added to that, we learned a couple of weeks ago that it was always, it was always God's plan for the church of Jesus Christ to be made up of believing Jews and believing Gentiles. And, and now, as we see the unfolding of God's progressive redemptive plan, we are told that in the last days, God is able to graft believing Jew into Jesus Christ and into the church if they repent and believe the gospel just as believing Gentiles. God is faithful to all of his promises. And uh, amazingly, another grand promise that God has made is found in the second half of chapter 65. He promises to create a new heavens and a new earth. God promises to make all things new, to renew all things. God will deliver on that promise in his time to make your heart glad. In fact, there is a day coming on the new heavens and the new earth when God's redeemed people will be full of happiness. Sorrow will be no more. You will be full of life. Death will be no more. You will be full of blessings. That means there will be no more consequences of sin. And you'll be full of peace. You will be completely made whole again as God intends. That, that indeed will be a great day. A day when we will worship our redeeming God forever. But today... God wants us to prepare for that day. And we can prepare for that day by being one who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at his word. So in short, we listen to God as he speaks through his word and we obey God. We follow Christ. We love Christ. We worship Christ. Now, today's sermon is entitled, Pregnant with Hope, um, and we, we have at least one pregnant couple in our church right now. Um, there, there she is. There she is. We have this one pregnant lady in our church right now that we're aware of, and they know, uh, Nick and Cher know, that nine months of pregnancy are filled with anticipation and expectation. Uh, something amazing is taking place, and something even more spectacular will take place when little baby Eamon enters into the world. So when a woman is pregnant, we know God is 
doing something good at the moment. And God will do something even greater in the future. And that, that's the hope that Isaiah gives to God's people in this sermon text today. God's doing something good right now, he says, but God will do something even greater in the future. Because of the greatness of God, we have reason to be pregnant with hope for the days to come. Verse 7 jumps right into that hope that is promised for God's people. But, but don't forget the preceding verse. Uh, I had Cody read verses 1 through 14 because I want you to hear verse 6 again. So we're going to jump into verse 7, filled with hope, but listen to verse 6. This is what is said about Jerusalem, the sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord, rendering recompense to his enemies. Sadly, this sound is the Lord bringing judgment upon Jews who refused to be humble and contrite in spirit and who did not tremble at his word. They did not listen to God and they did not obey God. But as we come to verses 7 through 9, good, good reasons are given for you to trust the God who saves. Verse 7 says, before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Now, there are probably uh, mothers here this morning who would very happily give birth in this way. Um, Cher, I want you to close your ears just for a moment. Come on, close your ears. I, I've said it before, but I don't I don't remember seeing anyone experience pain like what Shelley experienced in childbirth. Um, women really do have labor pains. And we know the reason for that, don't we? Uh, God told Eve in Genesis 3 that one of the consequences of sin is that there would be great pain in childbirth. But here in verse 7, we are told that she gave birth before her labor pains began. The, the birth of a son would come without labor pains. Again, remember the context of this portion of Isaiah, speaking of a new heavens and a new earth that are promised where sin and all of its ugly consequences would be no more. A, a day is coming when God's children will be full of happiness, full of life, full of blessing, full of peace. And in that context, Isaiah speaks here of a woman giving birth without any pain. John Oswald has said, and I quote, Isaiah is looking to a world where the effects of the fall have been done away with, and its dead hand can no more reach out to blight even the moment of new life breaking into the world. A painless birth is a symbol of Eden being restored. So it's true that God would do what only God could do. Verse 8 asks, who, who has heard such a thing? And, and the answer is, no one. 
And then he asks the question, who has seen such things? And again, the answer is no one. We, we live, you and I live in a world so impacted by sin and all of its ugly consequences that it's really hard to imagine life without sin and pain and death and suffering and sorrow. We, we too ask the question, who, who has heard of such a thing? And when we start to think about a world with no tears, no disappointments, no death, it's hard for us to really imagine that. O only God could and will bring that about. Verse 8 also asks, who, who has heard such a thing? This singular thing probably refers to a son being born. And then the second question, who has seen such things? These Plural things probably refer to the land and the nation. That is what we see in the remaining portion of verse 8. We, we see here the scope of God's salvation will be far greater than ever imagined. Ha halfway through verse 8, the, the questions are asked, Shall a land be born in a day, in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? Um, we, we've never heard of a woman giving birth with no pains, and now we're told that for as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her son. So notice the emphasis put upon a land being born in one day and a nation coming forth in a moment. And immediately, as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. So what happens here? is something that only God can do, and he does it immediately. We've seen God act in, in immediate ways in Israel's history. Israel's deliverance out of Egypt included a quick and dramatic act of deliverance when God led Israel through the Red Sea. In a moment, the all-powerful Egypt was defeated when God caused the waters to drown their enemy. When Judah was in their Babylonian exile, it was King Cyrus, a pagan king that God raised up to send Judah back to Jerusalem. Almost out of nowhere, Cyrus sent them back with provisions and protection and authority to take back the city. Cer certainly remarkable. Who, who has ever heard of such a thing? But that stunning return to Jerusalem from exile becomes a picture of an even greater restoration. When we think of something so unique that only God can do, it's hard to not think of the virgin birth of Jesus. Something that is absolutely unique. Only God could do that. Mary was a virgin yet conceived by the Holy Spirit. And the baby born to her would be holy, the Son of God. This baby would be God in the flesh, fully God and fully man. Again, nothing like that had ever been seen. This Son of God came as God's promised anointed King, the promised Messiah. And He would willingly lay down His life for those that He came to save. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But 
He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Jesus' death on the cross atoned for the sin of all of God's elect. The, the death, burial, and resurrection once for all, once for all dealt a death blow to sin and death. In Jesus, we have real forgiveness of sin. In Jesus, we have the promise of eternal life. And in Jesus, both believing Jew and believing Gentile are now one new man. No longer is there Jew or Gentile, slave or free. Together, all born-again believers make up the body of Christ, the church. This is what Peter said about this event in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what is it that brought about that radical change? It's being united with Jesus Christ by faith. Who, who, have, who has heard of such a spectacular thing? But that's not even all of it. Jesus is coming again. And in the twinkling of an eye, Jesus will come in all of his glory, bringing eternal judgment upon all those who have rejected the gospel and bringing full and final salvation to all who are eagerly looking for his return. In a moment, we will be ushered into the age to come where we will be with God on the new heavens and the new earth forever. Who, who has heard of such a thing? No one, but it's true. God has promised, and God would be faithful to his promise. In verse 9, the Lord says, Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth? Says the Lord, Shall I cause, shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb? Says your God. And the answer is, no, no way. God will bring forth the promise of this son and this land, and this nation. These grand promises of God are given for the purpose of calling you to trust Him. Trust the God who saves. For, for you to trust Him completely. Um, God didn't give us this information just to kind of tickle our fancy. It, he reveals these truths so that we will trust him, the God who saves. And if you do that, you will also, verse 10 and 11, rejoice in the God who saves. Verse 10, rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice with her in joy. All of you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breasts, that you may drink. Drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. Now, we, we have spent a lot of time in Isaiah listening to various, very stinging indictments against Israel. They're 
long history of stubbornly refusing to repent of their sin led them to experience severe but just consequences for their sin, including exile in Babylon for 70 years. There, there have been many reasons throughout Isaiah to mourn over that sad reality. But we have learned that salvation also would come through God's suffering servant. Salvation would come through God's own righteousness, not their own. Salvation would come because God is passionate for his own namesake, for his own glory. There is a future for God's redeemed people because God is the God who saves. That would include Judah returning to Jerusalem from their exile. God would establish the city again so that from Jerusalem, God's perfect servant, his suffering servant, his conquering king would come. God's promised Messiah would bring salvation for God's people, which we have learned includes all Jews and Gentiles who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation would come for all those whom God has called out of darkness into his marvelous light. So today, the church is looking forward to that, that heavenly city whose builder and designer is God. Hebrews makes that very plain. Here there is no lasting city. So we look for that city that is to come. The hope promised God's people is really reason to rejoice. God's salvation is reason to rejoice. We are called to be glad and to rejoice with joy because of what God would do for his redeemed people. But notice the beautiful picture that's given in verses 10 and 11. You will be satisfied and comforted like a nursing, like a child nursing and being cared for by his or her mother. You, you will be safe and secure in the arms of God who cares for you, who saves you. This same message of comfort was given in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 and 2, which says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all of our sins. So when, when God saves, He gives comfort to His people. Comfort from God gives courage to trust Him in all of life, both on the mountaintops and, the, and in the deep, dark valleys. Uh, the, be, the beginning of chapter 40 says, Comfort, comfort my people. And the end of chapter 40 then asserts this, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my right is disregarded by God? Sometimes we feel like God's forgotten. But Isaiah says, why, why do you think that? And then he goes on, he says, Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. 
Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord, who put their hope in the Lord, who trust in the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's a wonderful passage, isn't it? Uh, you, you know, these past two years have been a bit taxing on everyone, haven't they? Um, today is March 20th. I think it's the first day of spring. Is that correct? Yeah, I saw a robin this past week. I saw a couple of robins. I heard a couple of robins. That's kind of cool. And it's not Batman and Robin either. Um, so this is March 20th. Um, and it was March 22, 2020, two years ago, when we didn't meet together for the first time because of everything being shut down due to the COVID concerns. Uh, we didn't meet together as a church for eight weeks. Um, but then we opened our doors and have been meeting together ever since. But the, the past two years have not been easy. Um, I think everyone has grown weary in different ways at different times. Um, but even with that being true, there's one thing that we know. No, no matter what has happened, God promises to be present, to comfort, to renew our strength. And we know and we believe with all of our heart that when we trust the Lord, we, we will not be disappointed. We, we believe every reason to rejoice and, and we have every reason to, to rejoice in the the God who saves. I spent uh, yesterday morning as the fire chaplain with a couple whose son had died. Um, and I talked with them. I read scripture with them. I, I prayed with them. I sat with them for quite a while. And one of the things that I prayed for with them is that God would be their comfort in their sorrow. I don't, I don't know if this couple knows God, but I do know and I'm firmly convinced that if they trust the God who saves, they will be comforted by God. Uh, there, there's nothing else like it. Um, and when you are comforted by God, it leads to joy. Um, not in the circumstance, but in the comforter. So I, I want to ask you this morning, what is it that comforts you? Where do you go when troubles come? Who do you turn to when you face problems? When life throws a curve, when something happens that you weren't expecting and didn't want? Who do you run to? We, we read, Andrew read uh, Psalm 46 this morning. Um, that's a passage that just, I go to in my own heart and mind again and again. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Um, in Sunday school, we talked a little bit about this this morning. And um, one individual said, you know, there's this temptation that we have to look to all other places for, for things that would soothe us in difficulty. But... One of the things that we learn from Scripture is that it is God who gives comfort like 
none other. And so whatever we face, whatever difficulties we go through, whatever uncertainties we face, we, one of the things that ought to mark us as people who have been born again, who have the Spirit, who are trusting in Jesus, is that we run to him and find comfort in him. There's one final point that I want to close as we come to the close of Isaiah's message. And, and incidentally, um, I'm kind of sad that next week's going to be our last sermon in Isaiah. Um, he's been kind of a good friend to us for some time now, hasn't he? A couple of years. Um, but we, if things go as planned, I think we'll be done with uh, this, this study in Isaiah next week. Um, but here, there's one final thing in this text that we want to see, um, that if, if we are trusting in the God who saves, and if we're rejoicing in the God who saves, if we are comforted by the God who saves, we will also flourish in the God who saves. Verse 12, for thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. So to the city where God's people dwell, and it says, and the glory of the, of the nations like an overflowing stream. So the peace of Christ will be for a people from all nations. And you shall nurse and you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knee. So you will be cared for by God like a loving mother caring for her children. Verse 13, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass. And the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. And he shall show his indignation against his enemies. So we're, we're reminded here that a day is coming when God's enemies will face judgment. We're going to talk more about that next week. But the, prime, but, but the primary message here for today is that of comfort. Your, your heart will rejoice. Your bones will flourish like the grass. So deep in your being, you will flourish like the grass. Um, we have had a season a long season here in Wisconsin of brown grass lying dormant in the winter months. But we are on the verge, today is the first day of spring, we are on the verge of our grass bursting forth and turning green and flourishing and needing to be cut twice a week. And it won't be long till the tall Timothy grass will be swaying in the wind Lawns will be thick and lush. So too, a day is coming when God's people will be in the new Jerusalem, on the new heavens and the new earth, seeing Jesus face to face and enjoying his favor forever. There, there, there we will truly flourish forever. We kind of feel like that brown grass in this age sometimes. But in that age to come, we won't just survive. We will flourish in God's presence and under His care forever. What you will experience 
in God's presence for all eternity is really beyond your wildest imagination. You believe that? Do you really believe that? That what we are going to experience in God's presence on the new heavens and the new earth is beyond what we can even begin to imagine. And we need to hang on to that truth and cling to that truth so that we will today trust the God who saves. We will rejoice in the God who saves because you will, there's a day coming when you will flourish forever with the God who saves. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that is pregnant with hope. There is a sense of anticipation, a sense of expectation for that day to come when you will usher us into your presence. And we know that what we will experience then will be far greater than anything we can even begin to imagine now. So Father, help us to to believe that, to cling to that promise, to trust you, the God who saves, to even now in the midst of periods of time in this life when we kind of feel like that brown, dormant grass compared to what we're going to experience in eternity, help us to even begin, because of you, because of your faithfulness, help us to rejoice in you, to make you our joy, to be comforted by you, to not be dependent upon everything going our way, to not be dependent upon all of these idols that we tend to prop up and think we must have in order to be happy. Lord, help us to be happy in you. We, we look forward to that day, as you promised, where we will indeed flourish not just survive, but flourish forever in your presence. Thank you for that hope, that hope that is pregnant within us. We praise you, and we bless your holy name. Through Jesus, our Lord, amen. Would you stand? Let's.